Hey everybody, I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast I do with Rob Archibald. He's just really enthusiastic about his work and horses. He's the racing manager for Annabelle Nation Racing, which is one of the biggest racing stables in Australia. He's a former professional polo player, having represented Australia on multiple occasions, both here and over in England. And, you know, he's had quite a varied journey from growing up in the Hunter Valley to riding in the Mongolian Derby. So, enjoy. Apium Animal Health Equine Services provides comprehensive equine care across our network of dedicated equine and mixed practice clinics. We offer a diverse range of services to meet the needs of horse owners and enthusiasts, from the family pony to racehorses, equine athletes and stud farms. Our knowledgeable team possess extensive experience in equine reproduction, surgery, foal and neonatal care, ambulatory and emergency services, advanced diagnostics and internal medicine. APM's dedicated purpose-built equine centres are located in New South Wales at Agnes Banks and Scone, in the Victorian towns of Bendigo, Gippsland and Warrnambool and in Queensland at Bow Desert. In addition, our network of mixed practice clinics in Western Australia, Queensland New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania provide ambulatory care for horses via our passionate and experienced veterinary teams. Innovation is the cornerstone of our commitment to delivering first-class veterinary care exemplified by initiatives such as our foal ambulance operating across Bendigo and surrounds. Collaboration across our network of equine clinics ensures that every client receives the best available treatment and advice. APM's vet teams share a wealth of knowledge and experience that drives optimum outcomes for our equine clients. APM Animal Health's purpose is to enrich the lives of animals, people and communities. We're committed to providing exceptional veterinary care in the regional communities our clinics are located. Find out more by visiting apm.com.au. Join us as we strive towards our vision of healthy animals and happy people. Welcome to another episode of the Equestrian Hub podcast. Today's guest, we've got Rob Archibald. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for having me, Charlie. So it must be quite busy down at Warwick Farm there in your current role as the racing manager at Annabelle Nisham Racing. How's the day been so far? Yeah, um, busy time of year. Um, normal day for me starts at about 330 um the alarm goes off we, we um get up we have a quick walk around each barn just check that everybody's in um we then once that's done we have a quick look at you know if there's a few horses from the day before we'll have a quick look at them then we'll head out to the middle um with annabelle which is in the middle of the racetrack that's where all the action happens so um the riders will come out uh, they'll usually know what they're doing but they'll get their instructions just for each lot of horses that come through so First horse is onto the track at four o'clock. Um, so by that stage, we're in the middle where um, obviously depending on what day it is, some days are slow days, some days are fast work, but generally um, the riding will go from eight, uh, sorry, four till 8.30. It's a pretty normal day. Um, horses sort of on and off the track. Each rider will ride probably on average nine to 10 horses a morning. Uh, each, each horse is sort of allocated half an hour a morning, uh, roughly when you break it down. So um, we do that. Um, that finishes at about 8.30, obviously. Um, within that time, you're still 
working on the computer, working out horses where they're racing. That day, you have to decide by 7.30 if a horse is going to race or not. So um, quite often discussions around are we running, what other horses have come out of the race, um, will determine, you know, so that that's always fairly busy time of the day as well, sort of 7 till 7.30 deciding that. Um, then we head towards acceptance time. So, um, for example, racing on Saturday in the big races, uh, 9 o'clock on Wednesday, you decide whether you're accepting for the race. So again, another part of the day where there's a lot of discussion, are we accepting, are we not, where are we heading with this horse if we don't run on Saturday and things like that. And then uh, the next part of the day is at 11 o'clock where you're nominating um, for races a week ahead. So um, throughout the morning, there's I've got alarms going off on my phone all the time to remind me. Um, so it's just little bits happening, plus all the time you're working on the horses or you're watching the horses, um, how they're going, how they're moving. Um, just from a horse point of view, the horses will come out, they'll trot two laps just to make sure we're happy with the way they're moving and then they'll go out and do their work. Then they come back past the tower, give their feedback saying, yep, I'm happy, horse is moving well or wasn't quite happy with the way this one was moving. Um, for the, We'll make a list of the horses. If the riders aren't happy, they'll come back. They'll obviously get trotted up at the end of the morning and, and we'll go from there. So that's pretty much us till about 11 o'clock. And, right, um, no, there's no, no, I'm sure it'd be pretty flat chat uh, during those hours. Just give people an idea, just a rough idea of, of how many horses, obviously you have a few different stables, but at the main base at Warwick Farm, how many horses uh, are you guys getting through every morning and having to have put, put eyes on? Um, so we've probably got about 120 horses that, get worked each morning um some of those probably go on the treadmill and some of those that maybe a race will just walk the day after uh, or any horse that's a little bit sore might just be on the walker but roughly between 110 and 120 would go out on the track uh, yeah that's pretty much a standard sort of morning and you said uh coming up to 11 o'clock the you know the role transitions a little i i personally i'd be wanting a a power nap come 11 o'clock but what do you get up to uh so 11 11 o'clock obviously now um the communication's pretty important within a racing stable updating owners um exactly what's going on so if a horse is nominated for a race we'll let the owner know for horses um about to run the next day we will give them a pre-race report if the horses race the day before we'll give them a post-race report so there's a lot of communication going on. If a horse is um, not quite right, we'll update the owner. So the whole, each day, there's a lot of information getting sent out. So that takes up, you know, a couple of hours of the day, just making sure everyone's completely up to date. Um, you're obviously going through um, each morning with with our vet um, and just talking about horses we've got issues with or what's the plan or how are we attacking this one. And, um, yeah, there's just... So many little things probably that you forget about. You just sort of roll through the day, but you all the time just checking in with the team, how they're happy, little issues. You'll go out and might trot one up if there's that horse is meant to be racing the next day. So, yeah, it just seems to flow through, but plenty going on. Absolutely. Well, let's, um, let's take a step back and... Uh, you talk about you when you're you're growing up. The you know the Archibald names very well known in in the Hunter Valley. Uh, did you grow up on a farm up there? And was were horses involved from an early age? 
Yeah, mum um, and dad had a farm up in Scone. Um, they grew up sort of breeding cattle and sheep, so grew up riding horses, mustering the cattle and sheep were a big part of how they managed the stock. So, yeah, from as early, I've got photos, I think, when I was a young kid on on a pillow on the front of the horse with mum holding me, um, she was out mustering. So grew up with it from a pretty early age. Um and then obviously just had ponies and kids. I got two younger brothers, so we'd all go out mustering as a family a lot. That was a fairly cool day to go and saddle up your horse, go out um, muster a paddock or a, you know whatever the job you had on. So yeah, that's how I grew up riding. Um, there was no real. Um, we didn't really have a lot of pony club or anything like that back then, or it wasn't something that mum and dad opted to send us to. So. Um, no, just grew often, up mustering horses and they that was it. They you off to boarding school to get you out of sight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By that stage, they were sick of us, so that day. No. Um, yeah, so that, obviously, the polo then, dad dad played a little bit of polo at the local club and then started to do a little bit of that as we grew up and got a bit older and stronger. And um, But, yeah, really just riding mustering was how it all started. And and what did you know? What was your dream job back then, growing up, or like you know, let's say when you're at at Kings, did you have any plans, or did were you thinking at that point already? Oh, yeah, I'd like to keep going with the polo, like do a bit more polo and just see where that leads to. Uh yeah, it didn't take me take me long. I I really I really love polo or playing the game, and. Um, I loved I loved every part of it. So I was pretty determined that I wanted to do polo for um at some stage after I finished school. Um I think I, I said to my parents, Oh, well, I'll just I'll do it for a year and we'll just see how it goes. And if it doesn't, then I I'll come back and I'll do something else. And um so that's was pretty, pretty set in doing that. Um uh, probably when I was about 12, 13, 14 was when I started thinking of it. But, um, and how does yeah. someone get into, you know, being a polo professional? Did you have a plan? I'll go and work for this person and um, go from there. Not really. It's the and you not really at all. No, I just thought I wanted to play, and and that obviously would have started by just playing at Scone or just trying to improve and get better. Um, at that, as I got a little bit older, sort of sixteen, seventeen, started to meet a few other people that had been overseas. Um, got to know got invited over for the year I left school uh to play in England or just to work in England as a as a groom for a few months um did that for a couple of months managed to play a few games got given a handicap and then got invited back to play a little bit the following year and that sort of started the overseas side of it um and yeah just no didn't really know what I was doing I was just just knew I wanted to do it and knew I just tried to make the most of any opportunity that I got, whatever that was. And it sort of grew from there. What was the polo scene like in England? I'm sure, you know, maybe the grass would have been a bit greener over there than Scone. Um, but what else did you notice was different? Yeah, very different to, very different to Australia. Australia is very, it's grassroots, particularly where I grew up in Scone. A lot of the local, a lot of the locals plays the start, a lot of the, Farmers play on weekends, a lot of them. Um, whereas England, it's a lot more professional. There's a lot more money involved in the game. Um, 
you know, a lot more people would live in London and they drive out to certain areas and play on weekends uh, where, yeah, just a completely different um, a different game, really. It's just a professional game rather than an amateur game that we play a lot of in Australia. So um, that was obviously opened, opened the world up a little bit. Started, probably really started to get offered to play like here's a few hundred pounds to play here and there and things like that and started to get paid for the first time. Uh, and then uh, it's just, yeah, so many different levels of polo over there and just got some opportunities, which then gave me the chance to bring a few horses from Australia to get a little bit established. I sort of took two or three the first year, then I took another two or three the second year and just gradually built up a team of horses over probably four or five years and then set up a base in England. So ended up going over there for, I think, 12 years in a row just for for each. Um, ended up being, yeah, pretty pretty established for a period of time there over there. And it was great. Loved it. And what's the training? You know, I think a lot of people would, you know, think of um, polo horses being trained where you got a rider on, on one horse and you got sort of lead, leading three horses on either side. It seems, and that that's about all I know about training polo horses too, is it seems like that conditioning is a big role uh, to play. What else do you have to sort of focus on when you're training a polo horse? Obviously, it's different depending on the level they're at. Yeah, so um, fitness-wise, they they have a pr- pretty similar build-up um, to, a, to a thoroughbred in the sense that they, they're in for... Probably, if you really want to get them fit to play at a high level, they're in for eight to ten weeks before they they play their first game. Um, training's obviously different in in the sense that in the build up you have um, that you you'll have one guy that you'll have you're in the middle and you've got three whole you can up have up to three or four horses either side, so you're exercising six or seven at one time. Um, so it's a little bit less labor intensive than the thoroughbred game, but um, yeah, so they'll just build up week one. That they might walk for an, um, they might walk for forty five minutes in the morning, forty five minutes in the afternoon, and then week two you'll incorporate uh, walk and trot, little probably a five minute trot. Then week three is ten minute trot. Then uh, week four, you just gradually increase it um, with incorporate a lot of walking as well, and then probably by about week five or six you'll start to sing, you know, ride them. Uh, you'll give them. A little bit of schooling that obviously the intensity increases as you go and then you start playing practice chuckers we call it so um you know that gets them obviously another level of fitness and then they're ready for games so it's usually eight or nine weeks um by the time you're playing if you can a lot of times when you're playing at a lower level you might bring them out of the paddock and you might give them four or five yeah but you're not asking them to do as much as well when you're playing so those high level games they seem pretty fast and pretty intense how many horses uh would you be wanting for one a, a high level game a high goal game yeah the the high level games in australia and england you you play six chuckers you're probably taking eight or nine horses to each game um roughly um you work out you use roughly three horses for for two chuckers so um we call them you have a spare on the side of the field. So you might play one for five minutes. You'll get off and play the spare for two minutes. Because um, that last couple of minutes of each chucker that, where the horses get really tired and you try and avoid that, obviously that's when 
you know, things can go wrong or you can get injuries when they're that when they're fatigued. So five minutes, get off, give them a break, and um, you'll jump onto a fresh one the next chucker. And what are some of the, you know, key skills of a, a, a polo rider that might be different from a equestrian rider? Is, I guess is it that hand-eye coordination um, that just really makes it important to have? Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the biggest difference is just the fact you're obviously moving quickly and you hitting a ball at the same time. I've got no doubt a lot of good equestrian riders could both polo because I think a big part of it's the ability to ride well. Um, I think takes you a long way. I think if you can control the horse, um, I think that's that's a big part. And then probably to get you from to sort of separate yourself from the rest, I think hand eye then comes into it a lot. But fundamentally, you you really if you can ride well, it takes you a, a long way in the game. Um, and you know I've seen a lot of good people players from other sports come and play polo and they do well and they, they've got great hand eye but the, the riding's always the part that probably lets them down the most and who who would you say would be um you know your favorite polo player to watch um if you could watch anyone um uh Probably in Argentina, I mean, there's probably an abundance of players. They just seem to be so much better than the rest of the world. But I worked for a guy called Bautista Hege. He was a uh, goal player uh, probably 10 years ago. He was just very smooth, very fluent rider. I think I used to love watching him play. Um, there's a two or three guys that are, that are like the Tiger Woods and, you know, they're the best of the best. They're very good, just exciting, fast players. Um, but yeah, probably Batista Hege back in when I was playing back in the day was pretty exciting. And what led to you moving away from polo? Is there a bit of a um, time limit, or did you just sort of see your priorities shifting? Yeah, I think I just decided that I um, just couldn't. I thought, I thought to myself, I've had a great time. I've travelled around the world. Um, I didn't want it. Wasn't a sport that I thought I could do for the next twenty years in the sense that I didn't feel like um, there was much, uh, probably not, there wasn't much more to do, but I felt like um, I'd probably done as much as I could do. And um, and I just wanted a bit more of a challenge, wanted to do something different. And um, polo is a funny game. Financially, uh, you invest so much money in your horses and the, the better you are, the, the higher level you want to stay at, the more money you have to spend on your horses. So it was a... I could see it was a bit of a, it was just a bit of a revolving door. You know, the the better I wanted to stay at, the more money I had to spend, and I did that for a long time. And I just thought I oh, I couldn't see any way of, you know, I thought, I thought I could be here in ten years' time in the same position with some nice horses, but that'd be about it. So I thought it was a good time to change while I was still pretty young. So I think just after I was thirty, I decided to to stop. So I didn't really know what I was going to do, but um, I just knew that I had to stop while it was, um, while I could. And that led, in, in that time, you represented Australia on a number of occasions, didn't you? And, and both alongside your brother as well. Is that right? Right. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play for Australia a fair few times and um, played with my younger brother a few times while doing it, which was good. So we, um, they're pretty fond memories um yeah you don't do it very often with polo you probably get one or two games a year playing for australia um 
but I, I certainly love doing it. Yeah, and especially with your brother, it made it pretty special. Yeah, that would have been that would have been awesome. I'm sure there'd be a bit of bit of ribbing going on. Uh and then what at what point did you see racing as the next step for you? Uh, I was always interested in racing, but didn't really know a lot about it apart from we'd we'd retrained a few thoroughbreds and um followed a few of the bloodlines that way and we but um it was really just a chance chance meeting i think gay was in the hunter valley looking at um yearlings at the time and i think i got invited to dinner with she was having dinner with a group of people so i met her and she asked a few questions said what are you doing I said oh, i'm not really sure i've just stopped playing polo i'm at home with helping mum and dad on the farm I said oh why don't you come work for me and so i pretty much um did that you know i just went and worked for her for a year um i so i think i stopped playing polo in um in april and then in may i went and worked for her um just started at the bottom really i started we used to start there at three o'clock i'd muck out boxes for an hour um which is a bit of a shock to the system i hadn't done that for a while um so mark that box for an hour then we jump on horse at four again four o'clock and then you ride all morning then you come back and you do the afternoon shift and um you'd muck out boxes you take horses for a swim or a walk or whatever it may be so when probably um the best thing i ever did although at times through the year i i used to think to myself god not sure what i'm doing here um but it was great because it was learning the racing game probably in a in a quick way from the ground up you know um she was great she gave me a lot of opportunity there in the in the sense of meeting a lot of people she you know we went and looked at yearlings she'd say come on we're going up to the hunter valley for a couple of days so um she was fantastic she gave me a really good great year working for her getting a good understanding of it or just the fund the basics of of, of it and and pretty much realized how hard you had to work to make a goal of it so um, I had this pretty luxurious life playing polo for 10 or so years and um, it was a good good um, starting point. To, you're going to have to work hard if you're going to make a go of racing. That's right. Gay, Gay had certainly humble you at three, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's how it right. The polo career was long gone after you you forget about that once you've started working for Gay. But um, no, I, I loved it. It was, it was a good... Um, it was a good start and it gave me gave me a few opportunities as well. And what was the next step for you in, in racing after gays? Um, I then went and worked in England for a couple of years. I worked for a guy called Hugo Palmer over there, uh, just riding out in the morning, similar sort of thing, just working for him, running some uh, one of his barns, then worked for David Simcock as his assistant trainer, um, then moved back to um, Australia. Then I started working for Coolmore, so... Um, had a few different jobs in the in the racing game. Got a lot of different experience from different sides of it, um, which was great. So worked for Coolmore for four years as their racing manager. Um, they were very good. They gave me a job when they didn't really need to, which was a big help to me at the time. And um, and then from there, uh, obviously, obviously the link back to Annabelle was we worked together for Gay, so we became quite good friends. Uh, we'd be obviously riding out together in the mornings and got. Um, to know each other and we've stayed friends ever since um, and then worked for Coolmore and um, sort of through in that time working for Coolmore Annabelle had started up training 
And um, she said, oh, well, if you, if you ever want to get back into the racing, let me know. And in that time, uh, we'd started going out. So um, she said, oh, well, if you, I think after a couple of years, she said, oh, why don't, why don't you come and work for me here? So that's what we've done. Yeah, well, it certainly certainly makes sense, and it's it's uh, yeah quite interesting that yeah you you both started out or at some point you both started out at the bottom at gaze, um, you know, and now you the two of you are running a stable of of similar size. I'm I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I I was pretty lucky. Annabelle has done all the groundwork and built it up, and I've come in when she's established, so it's been easy for me. Pretty hard work for her. Um, yeah, no, it's it's great. It's Good challenge. It's nice to do it together. Um, obviously, I think it's, I think, yeah, I think it, it it works well. Obviously, it has its challenges, but fundamentally, I think we're, we're both in it. We both try and work pretty hard and um, been good fun. And what's the what's the rest of the spring looking like for the team? Any, any potential group ones on the horizon? Uh, we've got... Um, a big weekend this weekend, obviously a couple of horses in the Cox Plate. Um, Zaki's drawn a bit wide, but he's if on his day, he's obviously he's a good chance. Um, uh, in terms of the rest, they're probably that's probably our last opportunity. I think there'll be other Zaki will be in a few Group Ones. Myron will be in a few Group Ones. They're probably our two headline horses at the moment. Um, Got a really good filly in learning to fly, who, who was a very good two-year-old. Then got hurt in the Golden Slipper. She's just on her way back, so um, hopefully she's at that level uh, in the autumn. But yeah, for the rest of the spring, fairly busy. Just a um, couple of nice sources through the Melbourne Cup Carnival, but hopefully Zaki might just get one more Group One to his CV. Yeah, that's right. My better half would be pretty happy about that as well. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Ruth, oh, your better half's obviously such a big part of our team. She's our vet. She's been with Annabelle from the start, so um, she's pretty vital to the way it all operates. And um, yeah, no, she's pretty grateful to all the work she does. What's the hardest part you find about uh, helping run? You know, this big racing business is it the horses? The I don't want to say the owners because they're an integral part, but maybe let's say the communication. Uh, or expectations, maybe? Um, I think, yeah, obviously, big part of it's expectation, but we, we work hard in trying to be as realistic as we possibly can um, where we see the horses are at the whole way through. So um, pretty pretty big on not trying to, to oversell things or over overhype them. Just try and keep pretty level the whole way through the process about how the horse is going, and we feel like, um, from our experience, really the last ten or so years, that that's best way. You know, they, as long as you keep the owners well informed of how they're going, then they won't be too disappointed if they're not turn out not as well, and they'll be probably a bit more excited. Or if um, if they do turn out well, so um, that's one issue we work on. Um, just generally dealing with fatigue is a big issue. You know, we're you're just always tired. And we, Annabelle and I get to the end of the week are pretty exhausted. So that's hard, you know, just, just by the end of Friday and Saturday, you're just, just, just exhausted. So, um, that's probably a big part of it, but no, we've, we've, we've actually found a good balance really with the workload. Um, it's just always challenges in there, the challenges in every business, but, oh, um, yeah. I think, um, no, I think we've, 
got a good balance. You just always want better horses. You, it's never ending. You just the whole time searching for better horses, the better races more often. Um, which you know, I, I don't know if the formula to that, but we're trying to find it. Yeah, no, it's 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 like that with any top top professional. They're always wanting a better quality. Um, but their fatigue that'd be that'd be a definite one for anyone in your industry. And how do you guys? unwind when you're not working or how do you try and recharge you know i know you can't go to to greece um every couple of months uh so yeah what do you do there uh we try and we try and have sunday as our as our one day where we do do something we might you know both quite like going to the beach or even just going out going for a swim um somewhere or even just trying to switch off for that for that day maybe go for lunch with a few friends on a sunday that's that's our one day where we try and just switch off from everything else but um no, nothing really we go home back to scone if we can if we get the opportunity on a saturday night or uh, we might stay with friends or we might go for the day in, to the beach in town that's about it but um, our real switch our real time is probably in the middle of the year when the racing season does have a bit of a break um we will go overseas for a week or two then and have a have a holiday. That's our sort of yearly holiday. Yeah, I'm sure there's a, always a few horses to look at on the holiday, though. Oh yeah, no. Annabelle likes to drop in and have a look at a few overseas horses in England or Ireland, which I always say I think she's mad. But um, yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's never ending, as you know. Like any, whenever you're involved in horses, is every day there's something going on. But we've got a great team, which make you know help us get a good balance on it yeah absolutely uh and tell us about the mongolian derby was that did annabelle do it the same year as you yeah annabelle did it the, the, we did it the same year which was funny because we when we signed up to do it we didn't really we hadn't planned that, that we were going to end up doing it together so i did it with my two brothers and my cousin um we'd been saying we were going to do it for for ages and i think annabelle saw my you know out, she knew all of us, so we put out, and she couldn't believe that we're all doing it together. Um, and it was, yeah, it, amazing experience. Um, we, I mean, it was life changing, really. Just the whole country, um, just to do a challenge as a group with a group of us, we just loved it. Um, and um, what was I think, it like? Obviously, uh, the, the countryside looks absolutely beautiful, but I'm sure there was. Um, you know, maybe a long time between meals at some points or like, you know, a lot of a lot of bush poos going on out there on the step. Yeah, it's pretty um it's amazing country. It's you know, we I think we rode a thousand kilometers and I don't we didn't open one gate, which from a farmer in uh Scone I found, you know, pretty interesting. There was a very nomadic herders, so they they just keep their sheep um, you know, the the, they move around the countryside and um, just go wherever this good season is. Um, beautiful countryside, but they're, you know, they sort of feel like 50 years behind the rest of the world. Um, so just to give you a quick rundown on how the race works, you you ride it every 40 kilometres, you change horses. So you're on the Mongol ponies, which are a smaller type of horse. Um, they're pretty tough. So they, they you'd ride 40 kilometres. Then you have a pony line of, probably 40 or 50 horses waiting for you. And so the, the quicker you are in the race, the, you get obviously first pick. So 
um you, you know you can choose so if you you choose well you obviously the second leg's pretty quick if you choose badly then it's um you end up in a bit of trouble and that was a big part of it trying to find a horse that you thought um was athletic or not have um, a lot of discussion about who's riding what between the our little group but um we linking back to annabelle we rode the first leg together and i me and my brother my horse came in a little bit lame so i had to serve a two-hour penalty and uh, that was the last we saw of annabelle she took off into the into the dust and saw at the end but um yeah amazing experience i'd anyone ever got the opportunity i'd thoroughly recommend it yeah i'd love to go i was meant to go not uh in the derby but just on holiday and to ride over there with my aunt uh, back in 2007 but i broke my leg playing polo cross up at the coonabarabran expo um about two ah. or and i thought yeah mongolia is not the place you want to go with pins sticking out of your foot no, it wouldn't be, I don't think. No, definitely not. But there, um, yeah, it was It was surprisingly um, that they were, yeah, it was surprised me how beautiful the country was and how fr- friendly the people were. They, um, they looked after us very well, particularly if you, if you stop between the horse stations and you end up in the, in the middle, then you have to sort of knock on a, locals door and say oh do you mind if we camp here tonight and we did that one night and the the family you know drove to town bought some supplies uh cooked us up a big spaghetti bolognese so yeah they were incredibly hospitable people yeah everyone everyone says that over there it's um certainly an amazing country definitely definitely on my hit list well I don't want to hold you up too much longer, Rob. I know you're a busy man. Where can people go if, let's say, they're interested in getting themselves into a leg of a racehorse? Um, how might they go about that? And, you know, where should they look to go? Yeah, oh, well, look, we um, we obviously do a lot of that ourselves. So a big part of with the horses that we get, we go to the sales. We would we we buy horses on spec, so to speak. So um, we buy horses that we like, we bring them back and we advertise them and we sell smaller shares. So um, you could do that through us at Annabelle Nation Racing. There's a lot of good syndicators out there that offer a really good service as well that we deal with. So um, any, you know, there's a lot of opportunities these days at varying levels as well. So um, if you if you want to just have a dabble in it and, and spend $10, $15 um, a month, you can do that. If you want to have own a bit more of a horse, then you can probably come to us and we could offer you a few different types of horses if that um, was what suited. But, yeah, we, there's plenty of opportunities these days. Australian racing does that better than anywhere in the world. You can buy a very small piece of a horse and have an amazing experience with it. So I think that's the big part of our industry and why it's doing so well yeah totally agree thanks so much for coming on rob and uh good luck in the cox plate this weekend yeah thanks charlie thanks for having me it's been good to talk